Welcome to Commerce Talks, episode number 55. Today, my guest is Mickey Kusi from Walt, the unicorn from Helsinki. Walt is helping you to find the best restaurants in your city and get the food delivered with their own network of riders, which leads to a way higher customer experience or way better customer experience than uh, the competitors' customer experience, which is helping them now to grow in cities where we all thought it's a winner-takes-it-all markets and there will never be a new um, delivery service again. That's a very interesting setup for the podcast and we are talking about um, the um, journey of Walt, the goals of Walt, um, how it works in Helsinki where it's way more progressed um, as it is in other cities, how it is possible to operate such a business, um, uh, very profitable in over 20 countries, um, and how they're using their funds, which are over 700 million euros right now. A very entertaining podcast uh, where I have learned uh, a lot of things and definitely will try out Walt next time I'm visiting Berlin. So have fun with Mickey Kossi. Mickey, welcome to the Commerce Talks and Kassenzone podcast. We will publish it in both uh, channels. Today we are talking about a topic that is really interesting uh, to not only e-commerce uh, enthusiasts, but uh, everybody who is receiving uh, and uh, doing food ordering online in Berlin and some other cities in Germany. Uh, uh, so welcome to this podcast. Maybe introduce yourself uh, for a minute and tell us a little bit about the Walt uh, business. Yeah, thank you, Alex, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so briefly, so I'm the founder and CEO of Walt. Uh, Walt is a Helsinki-based uh, tech company. We specialize in last-mile delivery, mostly focusing on the restaurant mm -hmm. segment, but increasingly on grocery and other verticals as well. Uh, we operate in 23 countries in over 200 cities. Uh, we've raised roughly 700 million euros of financing uh, and are still expanding very, uh, very aggressively. Uh, we entered Germany actually uh, a little bit over a year ago. So I believe it was our first birthday in Germany just, uh, I think, last week. Uh, about myself, so before I founded Walt, I, I started a tech conference called Slush. It's a 25,000-person event based out of, out of Helsinki, focuses on like venture capital and technology companies. Uh, and before that, among other things, I worked at Supercell on games like Clash of Clans and Heyday in the early advent of mobile gaming. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, so, so you've you've uh, you've been very active uh, as an entrepreneur even before uh, even before Wall. So how many unicorns are there in uh, Finland? Hmm, that's a tough question. How many active unicorns? Uh, I think it's somewhere above five. I'm not sure if all of them are public. Uh, some of them will be made public, but there have been quite a lot of venture financing going into Finnish companies as of late. Finnish companies, I think, have raised only in the first half of this year uh, over a billion euros of investment. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and the the ones that are interesting in this space ha um, might have uh, read some articles with you, interviews or analyses on Business Insider Manager magazine. Uh, and uh, the most pressing question usually is, or what those journalists are focusing on is, um, there was a um, uh, there was a consolidation uh, movement a couple of years ago. There, uh, because in in our in this industry, in the delivery industry. Uh, the the theorem about the winner takes it all is very strong still. Um, anyway, you've decided in one of the most crowded and most competitive markets, especially in Berlin, you've decided to to enter um, to enter again. Um, can you give us uh, uh, give us some um, some main 
pillars of the strategy, though, though we can, uh, so we can, uh, so we can understand it better. Because usually, uh, every investor would have said, no, you know, it's like there were like five companies before or six, I'm not sure yet, uh, and uh, they all lost against Lieferando or sold to Lieferando, uh, and and now game is over, and now here you are. Yeah, I mean. We are an expansion company. Like we started in a small country. Finland is only a country of five and a half million people. So from the get-go, we always knew that we have to build a company that's very good at expansion. So, you know, 23 countries later, here we are. And that means that uh, we've become very analytical and methodological when it comes to deciding where we expand to, which countries we launch, which cities we launch. Uh, at Germany, we decided for a very long time that it's not a market we want to operate in. It's a very, it was a very competitive market, many players, a lot of money spent into marketing and so forth, uh, until the consolidation happened two years ago when Lieferando bought or Takeaway.com bought the business of Delivery Hero in Germany and a little bit later Deliveroo shut down their business in Germany. And you went from a situation where you had basically five different players to one player on the market. And you know we like to say in Walt, but follow the customer. Like if you see that uh, customers are not getting what we believe to be the right service, the right level of service, Uh, someone is going to do that. And in Germany, we saw that Lieferando has always done an amazing job with restaurants that do delivery, but they have struggled when they have to do the delivery on behalf of the restaurant, the restaurants that didn't use to deliver. And we believe there was an opening and that's why we came. And if you look at Berlin today, which was our first city, uh, you can see a lot of blue couriers on the streets. So I think like ultimately people vote with their money, people vote with their orders, and a lot of people seem to be voting vote. So we were not uh, not altogether wrong when we came to the market, I believe. But correct me if I'm wrong, but but haven't there been like delivery services that were verticalized or with own drivers before? I know that Liferando has this um, yeah this um, flat model where they only try to provide the platform without the without hiring uh, too many riders. Uh, but there was like, what is, was it Food Panda or there was a business before Fedora. Fedora. I think it was Fedora. Yeah. So, uh, why will you be better than Fedora then? I think it's all about timing in this industry. Like it's all about like, uh, you know, investing your resources, uh, in the right quantities in the right time. And when there are six brands on the market, everyone is going on an all-out marketing war. You know, the takeaway, uh, the, the first generation food delivery players that focus on the aggregator model, we're fighting for who's number one in the market at the same time when second generation players like ourselves uh, were trying to emerge. So it was a difficult market to distinguish as a better service or with the restaurant profile that you portfolio that you had or the customer experience or any of the other things. When there's only one player left, it was a lot easier to say that, hey, this is how we're different. This is what kind of restaurants we have. This is what kind of a customer experience mm. we have. This is what kind of customer support we have and so forth. So there's a timing aspect. Um, I think Germany uh, is a very, very interesting market in our industry, but it happened a little bit later than some of the other markets. Like the UK, just did one UK already many, many years before Deliveroo launched. In Germany, this was happening at the same time when other companies were launching. So they were too early in hindsight from my perspective. Okay, and but what is the USP then uh, you're offering above Lieferando if you're now um, um, hunting for new customers in Berlin? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, this is about just being the best possible service for the customer every day. And it's not easy in our industry when you need to be balancing, you know, the three sides uh -huh. of the equation, the courier, the customer and the restaurant. But what, 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 what does it mean, the best service? So better food, faster delivery, better prices? I don't I know. I like to think that there are four things that make it up. Uh, the first thing is, uh, is the supply, what you have on the platform, what mm. people can order from. 
Uh, and traditionally, like food delivery companies focused on restaurants that do delivery themselves. For us, it was always about what are the most popular restaurants in the city? What are the restaurants people queue to get into? The restaurants that don't do delivery, because why would they do this lower margin, more difficult business when they have enough customers coming through the door? So focusing on the right supply. After that, it's about, uh, you know, the speed of delivery, but also like saying that, okay, we're going to deliver this order in this and this many minutes and trying to meet that order. And then when things goes wrong, also having amazing customer support, like we focus on real time customer support. You send us a message. What we measure is that we try to get back to you on an average of less than a minute. Because like if your food, if there's something wrong with your food, you don't want to hear back tomorrow. Mm. Uh, then it's also about price and affordability. It's about being a service that people can use, not just on a Sunday morning when uh, you know, they're, they've you know, have been late partying in the previous night and they don't want to get out of their apartment for any price. But you don't want to be a service people can use in their everyday lives. And then finally, it's about what kind of a brand you're building. Are you building something that's, uh, you know, something that's people's part of people's lifestyle? You know, we were a born mobile company. Most of our other other companies in our industry started on desktop and then only went to mobile. So it's a very different kind of experience. So these are kind of the four things I like to think that constitute customer experience. And it's not just that like any one thing will make it. It's just about you know consistency uh, in these four things over days and weeks and months and uh, and years as you continue to build the service. You know, consumers decide every day what they use. Mm. You know, people who are ordering food delivery, they decide every time they order, you know, are they going to use this app or that app? You have to earn that. Yeah. I remember when there was like the the big uh, uh, year customer acquisition fight going on in Berlin a couple of years ago. It was all about vouchers. So here's like all, here's like a 20 euro voucher, order your food for free from a pizza or whatever. Um in these times today, when Lieferando is actually the monopolist, uh, um, how, how do you win customers? Or, or can you tell us a little bit about the customer acquisition cost ch channel that are working for you? Because obviously, you must focus on, on a certain cohort. So my understanding of what so far was high quality food, because that's that was the way how it was introduced to me. You know, there's a new service, Walt, you know, never heard about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's better restaurants. Uh, uh, that's what I mean with delivery. supply. Yeah. Okay, but 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 how how do you get the customers in? Is it is it word of mouth because the the high quality customers usually don't fall for like the next 10 euro pizza voucher? The most important thing is word of mouth. Like if I look at our growth in Germany, we're not only in Berlin today, we're in many cities in Germany today. The number one driver of our growth has been uh, word of mouth. People recommend services that they like. They recommend services that they find uh, valuable. Uh, and ultimately, like no spending on uh, customer acquisition can beat that. So our number one thing uh, that has grown us in Germany has just been word of mouth. On top of that, we do spend money on customer acquisition in the paid channels. Uh, we mostly like very targeted online channels like Facebook and Instagram and, uh, and Android and Apple SEO and so forth. Uh, but actually, we do less of it in Germany today simply because we have our hands full trying to get enough couriers on the streets and new restaurants on board to meet the, meet the organic customer growth that we're seeing. Mm, okay, got it. Can you tell us a little bit about the numbers? So you've, you've, you've started in, in Berlin, but are we talking about like 100,000 customers, 10,000 customers? So what is it? We're in the hundreds of thousands of customers in Berlin. In Berlin only? Yeah. And they are uh, um, and with very little churn, as you said, uh, you're focusing on loyalty, right? Yeah, retention is very, very high in our kind of model. So if I look at Germany, uh, when a person makes their first purchase on Walt, uh, over half of those people keep on making purchases every month after that. 
it's a very sticky service. And actually, churn is negative if you look at our long-term cohorts. So we are getting more customers back from early cohorts rather than losing them. Okay, got it. But 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 anyway, uh, as I know, money is not free, but it's like you got a lot of funding, as you said. But what is your your payback model then? So obviously, you can't be profitable like with the first order. That no. would be at least very surprising. But uh, do you do you become profitable within the first six months with a customer? So usually company-wide, we like to focus on 12-month payback and gross margin. Mm -hmm. So a customer that we acquire will become profitable after 12 months, uh, 12 months on average, including all the churned customers and everything, of course. Uh, so this is, this is cohort level. Mm -hmm. uh, but it depends very much on the market, on our strategy with the market, stage of the market, and so forth. Because initially, when we go to a country, we're more focused on having efficient customer acquisition than we're focused on paybacks. Mm -hmm. Because this is also a scale business. Like you need to have order density that you have efficiency that makes your margins also better through uh, having a higher uh, throughput of like many how many orders the average courier can deliver. So uh, like it's a little bit different based on the stage of the market. But if I look at blended company, we like to focus on 12-month payback. Okay, got it. But what is then the minimum size of a, of a city you need to uh, uh, in order to get to those cohorts? Currently, the smallest cities where we operate in, uh, in the Nordics, are around 20 to 30,000 people that live in our delivery area. So we can do make this work in very small cities. You were asking for, for what's kind of the, uh, like what sets us apart. So like I think the, the important thing to note about our industry is that anyone can offer an amazing customer experience. Like you and I can decide, decide to today decide to start a food delivery service. We will get some low, low tech technology, uh, get some, you know, people on bikes, give them radio phones, give them orders and, you know, have, make it very, very quick for people to get orders. Mm. The key thing is not that. The key thing is how much does it cost? Because ultimately there's a, Uh, exchange between efficiency and customer experience. And it is very, very easy when you're small to invest into customer experience, do negative, uh, negative unit economics and have an amazing customer experience. But when you get to scale, it starts to become very expensive. And mm. then the key thing ultimately is how, you, how are you able to get efficiency when you want to maintain an amazing mm. customer experience? And that's really the difficult thing to do. And for us as a company, we came from a very difficult home market. Like, you know, the Nordics, we have small cities, we have a low population density, we have the lowest income disparity in the world, super high labor costs. Uh, you know, people are very price sensitive. It's not really a market where there's any takeaway culture or tipping culture. Mm. So we had to get, uh, build this model uh, and technology and optimization where we can do a very high level of efficiency with a very low level of order density. Mm. And that's kind of the secret thing of what we do, or not even secret. That's, that's you know, really, really what sets us apart. And Germany is very similar to the Nordics as a market. So for us, everyone else told me about Germany that it's a very difficult market. Like the average baskets are way too low. The labor costs per hour are way too high. Uh, and it's a very, very difficult talk to make work. People are not going to tip and delivery fees have to be very low. And I was like, it's exactly lot like what we've seen in the Nordics. So for us, Germany is just another Nordic country from that perspective. But you would rather focus on bigger cities first, right? That's why you started in Berlin. And Size of the about, price. I thought, Size of the price. Yeah. So like the thing about a city like Berlin is that from our perspective, yes, it's a city. But from our perspective, it's not a city. It's actually a constellation of neighborhoods that in a way are mini cities. And when we built Berlin, we still don't cover the entire city. We expand one neighborhood at a time. We mm. build the right supply of restaurants you know, build the courier capacity, you know, build the brand, get customers and so forth. And it's one neighborhood at a time. So in a big city, 
uh, you have a lot more expansion you can continue to do later. Whereas in a small city, it might be that you take one central area and that's it. You cover the city from there. Can you tell us a little bit about your business, how it works today in Helsinki? Because I thought that was one of the first cities where you started. So uh, most likely this will be like the, the blueprint for, for other cities. Is there more which I can get delivered with uh, world more than food? Uh, are you running ghost kitchens? Are you running uh, small... Uh, small um, um, uh, small warehouses like like, like gorillas. So yes and yes. Yeah. So the way we see our business is that uh, what we're doing is that we're building almost like a digital version of a shopping mall. Like imagine you you know we used to go to a shopping mall and you would have like this five six seven floors of uh, of shops and stores and usually in the bottom floor you would have grocery stores because you you know go to those when you exit the shopping mall in the top floor you would have uh, the food court because restaurants are a destination and then in the floors between you had uh, a lot of different kinds of stores and shops and boutiques selling like a little bit of everything. And the way we built Vault is that we built this digital shopping mall where our infrastructure is not the walls of the shopping mall, but the delivery network, the application, the customers coming into the application and so forth. And we started by building this food court. And now what we've done is that we built the uh, the best food court in the city. That's what we want to do. You open Vault and you have hundreds of restaurants where you can order from in an average of 30 minutes or so uh, hot food to your door. Mm. But eventually we want, to, we want to populate the entire shopping mall. And how we like to do it is that the second thing we do is populate the grocery floor because it's also eating. It's the single most requested thing by Vault customers. Uh, and it's also like uh, the biggest individual use case in the, in the shopping mall after the, after the food court. But mm. also we, we go beyond that. We deliver everything from clothing to, to electronics, to pet food, to all the other things you could imagine finding in a shopping mall today. It's just a question of where are we in each of our cities in terms of uh, maturity? In our older markets, like we are an everything app, you can order a bit of everything on Walt. In our newer markets, we like to focus on building the best possible restaurant service first. But just from my understanding, you're still picking stuff up at other vendors, right? You go to yes. the consumer electronic markets and buy, I don't know, the uh, the whatever the customer ordered at this market and bring it then to the customer. Like We actually, we signed the merchant on Walt and they have the Walt software running and we tell them that the customer would like to get this and this uh, and the merchant prepares that and the courier just picks it up. We do also have dark stores, so stores where it's either us or a partner operates a store where yeah. there's like people only picking orders for Walt, uh, Walt deliveries. That's something we also do. For instance, in Finland, we have a brand called Walt Market uh, that we operate with. Uh, but we also prefer to work with partners. Like yeah. we work with many big grocery chains, you know, starting with Carrefour and ending up with uh, yeah. Eka in Sweden and so forth. Uh, because like we want to build, bring kind of the offline yeah. world online. Okay. I got that. But uh, this kind of model seems to be limited. Uh, um, otherwise, uh, uh, there, would no be, there wouldn't be like a Gorillas or Ketia, whatever. So whatever you have to... Um, you have to execute with an infrastructure, uh, with your service on an infrastructure that what meant for other people to to pick it up. Then was then there's not in, not enough margin left. Though so, um, the infrastructure of a, of a, of a consumer electronics uh, warehouse is usually not made for such a service like like you're providing. So this kind of extra service is not in the uh, is not built in the calculations. So. Um, 
are you working with uh, yeah, dark stores or warehouses then on your own? We are also working with dark stores. But to, to answer your kind of like previous point, uh, actually, when there's an offline retailer that's profitable, that has, let's say, one location and they have a certain flat mass of customers and certain unit economics they sell with, the reality is that by adding a delivery service, we can actually make the unit economics work because we're bringing the marginal sales. Mind you, this is at the start. That means that like, as long as we're bringing them customers that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten, and we're making their existing operation more efficient. So they're selling more with the same rent, with the same employees, just with the delivery picking up the order, uh, courier picking up the order. We actually make them more profitable, even though we charge a margin from them, which makes the delivery very inexpensive for the customer. So the model does work. But ultimately, what happens is that the more and more volume there is, you will end up with dark stores. Like the, I think the future of retail is in a big way, uh, you know, these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of mini dark stores in a city where different delivery services bring you bring you bring you things to your home. But it doesn't mean that you have to start start there. You can also start by bringing existing stores and shops online and taking advantage of the fact that they are hugely inefficient at times. Uh, and you can take advantage of that inefficiency and make them more efficient. But we also work with dark stores because it's oftentimes a quicker way to get the customers what they want and what they need. But with it's not dark, the only way. With dark stores you own or which is owned by a new generation of retailers? We do all models. Like we have our own dark stores that we operate that have our employees inside doing pickup uh, and that are branded Walt. We also work with dark stores that are run by completely third parties, whether it's like small mm. independent entrepreneurs or bigger companies. Like our kind of view is that ultimately what we're doing is that we're building this shopping mall and there can be different kinds of models, uh, what kind of merchants we can have on the platform. We're not jealous about that. Even on the delivery side, we have a product that we call delivery as a service, where if you have an e-commerce site, you know you can have the customer order on your site and Volt is a delivery method. So the customer doesn't even order on Volt, but Volt delivers the order on the merchant's behalf. So we're not really jealous about uh, you know, how, how we're kind of bringing merchants or working with merchants or how we are interacting with customers. Ultimately, for us, it's about uh, building the best possible shopping mall and the best possible net, uh, delivery network in the city. So then uh, maybe let's let's look at a strong customer cohort in Helsinki um, then just to understand the future um, uh, of your business. So how much would then an average customer in Helsinki spend on Volt? Uh, and what part of this is food versus other services, beauty, oh, drugstore now, equipment? <laughs> take me to a difficult field. Like we're a very competitive industry. So I always have to be very careful what I say because yeah, but, it always signals something. Okay, I agree, I agree. Maybe maybe let's approach it from another angle. So uh, um, what is the, the average order uh, volume in your industry, in the liver industry of a, of a very loyal customer? It doesn't matter if it's Liferando or it's Walt. So how many times does a customer usually order in, in so those apps? I can tell for Walt on average, because industry, like this is very specific to every company, every geography and so forth. But I can say on average for Walt, what we see is that the average customer uses Walt anywhere between three and seven times a month on average. So this includes all the active and the inactive customers, the people that only make one order. So the average is somewhere between three to seven. And every market where we operate, it goes up. It goes up over time because people learn to use the service more. There's more restaurants. There's more other kinds of merchants and so forth. Um, 
And then we see also that when we bring other things than restaurants on the platform, those are very additive on top of the restaurant food delivery. So people don't, you know, uh, you know, go from ordering from restaurants to ordering groceries. They actually end up ordering groceries on top of what they were ordering already from restaurants while ordering on average more from restaurants. Uh, if I look at retention out of a person who's made a purchase on Vault, how many uh, you know, become a customer that uses Vault every month from there on, whether it's one year or five years, based on the data that we have, mm-hmm. that is anywhere between 30 to 60%. So mm-hmm. 30 to 60% of people who make one purchase will continue using Vault virtually forever. Uh, and again, these depend a little bit on the market. The markets also mature over time, but everything tends to trend upwards as you go forward in time. People become more frequent, uh, your retention increases, your average order value also increases. Uh, because like we become more of a commonality in the city, more cities, more of a lifestyle service. Is this ha- is it hard to get a new retailer on your platform? Because um, if I'm following the dis- uh, discussion um, correctly uh, in the European market, then most retailers like to own uh, the access to the customer, which, which is I think which is the right strategy. So whenever you're going to media market or to Rossmann or to DM or whoever we could talk about though, and, and offer your services, they know. Yeah, it, it might be beneficial for the customer now. It's just another checkout option because they want it now and I don't have the infrastructure. But eventually you will own the customer and then sell the access to the customer back to them in the future. So a smart uh, retail manager will definitely confront you with this argument. What, what do you think? Does then? a shopping mall own the customer? The shopping mall, so... But people only go to the shopping mall if they have the right stores and the right brands. So ultimately, there's this balance that is created between platforms and between merchants on the platforms. That's at least what we see. The shopping mall owns the customer for uh, for the customer who wants to shop offline. So and if, if the, this customer has like a wish for a specific product and thinks the shopping mall is offering this product range, whatever it is, consumer electronics or fashion, he goes there. And uh, and sometimes those shopping malls also offer a digital interface, which is usually very bad, <laughs> very very bad. And then you come and say, oh, "We have a much nicer way to integrate your uh, your assortment uh, in, in the interface, and we offer you even a cohorted newsletter for only customers uh, that are visiting your space." But you know, this is this kind of part of the platform economy uh, was learned by by Amazon by many brands the hard way. So uh, going back to the initial question, so is it hard for you to convince retailers like Media Market or Rossmann or um, Fnac in France or wherever you operate to um, to uh, to join Vault? It's not difficult, but it's always a process. It takes time. Like what I can overall say is that the larger the operator, the more time it takes uh, to you know start working with them. The benefit of, for instance, working in the restaurant space is that a lot of the restaurants are small brick and mortar stores where you can literally talk with the owner or the manager who's the decision maker. And it's very like low barrier for them to try something new. When, we, when, we, when you work with these big multinational chains, they're very careful. You know, they, they work very, very slowly. They're very careful around reputation, around trying new things, around not wanting to fail and so forth. So it takes more time. But ultimately... I think uh, the reason why there's such such a demand for companies like Gorillas and some of these new quick commerce companies is that the grocery operators, the traditional ones, have been slow to move. And I think their risk at the moment is that there's this whole new generation of operators that is being born uh, that will, you know, uh, build the kind of the next generation of grocery ordering or grocery, uh, you know, uh, stores. 
And I think for the traditional operators, the most dangerous thing is not to play in this market. But ultimately, what is the relationship between us as a platform and any operator where it's an individual restaurant or a multinational big grocery chain or other retailer? Ultimately, it's the same as the you know, relationship between a shopping mall and a store in the shopping mall. The shopping mall needs the store because otherwise they won't get customers. But from the store's perspective, they also rely on the shopping mall for a lot of the infrastructure, the fact that the customers need to, if there are any customers in the shopping mall and so forth, and what rents the shopping mall is charging them. So it becomes this like balance between the two. And ultimately, the customer is shared. The customers might be a Vault customer, but the customer is also a customer of the store that they order from. And the customers on Vault tend to be very loyal to stores and restaurants and shops they order from. So we need to make sure that we have good partnerships with those stores. Otherwise, we don't have a business. Yeah. Still, there's like a conflict on the horizon when it comes to customer um, access but let's park this uh, uh, for a minute because I, I see other there's another field where I think there's um, something uh, where where there might be a conflict uh, arising which is actually the um, the access to um, employers what we see now in Germany especially in cities where lots of this new delivery services are available and even like from uh, from the old players then get here and gorillas and all others joining the market. Now even pay uh, uh, um, signing bonuses to new riders, so it's harder and harder and harder to get uh, people doing the stuff actually uh, that you want to offer as a service. So how do you see it? Is it is, is this a German uh, phenomena or is it even hard in Helsinki to get work? It's a global phenomenon. So, but it's it's like. Uh... How would I put it? It's it's again dependent on the stage of the market. When there's a new market, where there's a lot of players that are fighting for market share, it tends to get a little bit crazy. And there's so much more, so much demand for customers and for couriers and for restaurants uh, that it becomes a bottleneck to get, for instance, new couriers on the platform. But long term, this is not really a bottleneck. Like Vault, for instance, we work with over 100,000 couriers globally, but we have a queue of close to 400,000 people to become a Vault courier. So long term, like, you know, we're competing with grocery stores for, you know, people that work as clerks. You know, there's plenty, like, have you ever heard that, you know, there wouldn't be enough cashiers in grocery stores? Like, ultimately, there will be a supply and demand balance. You know, there will be enough workers for every company. But in the short term, when there's so many entrants in a short period building up a new industry, obviously it gets very competitive. The prices get very high and there's a shortage of people uh, to work as couriers. But it's also that customers get crazy discounts very easily. And then restaurant side, it's a huge battling for uh, for getting new merchants on board whether it's like new real estate, uh, like leases for quick grocery stores or getting restaurants on board of services such as ourselves. So it's normal. But long-term, it's not a bottleneck. Like long-term, you're just competing for for you know people like every other company in the market. I agree, but you have to operate now. So exactly. And that's the tough one. That's in, the difficult one. Yeah. Okay. And if you're going now to your new city, I think the last one you've announced was Düsseldorf, I think, in, uh, in Germany. So how long does it take to your standard set of couriers. I don't know how many you need, like 100, so 500 So the start so. tends to be easy. So when you're getting the first, first few hundred people, that tends to still be quite manageable. But when you're in thousands and you need to get to thousands more, that's when it starts to really get tricky. Hmm. When you're going like from 10,000 to 20,000. Uh, so I think uh, like, you know, starting a city is is much easier than scaling a city. But that being said, like on the courier side, 
we do see bottlenecks, for instance, in Germany. We see them elsewhere as well. Not as bad as in Germany right now. But the point is that ultimately, there will be enough people to work as couriers. Sure, there will be sign-up bonuses and increased earnings and so forth in the short term as platforms combat for people. But ultimately, there is enough people for all platforms. That's what we've seen in every market, at least. Mm. Okay, okay, I get that. But do you think that can be solved by uh, autonomous driving or no. self-delivery services in the future, or is it far away? It's far away. Like uh, I think, um, if you look at autonomous driving, I believe autonomous driving will be a thing, uh, not so long in the future. But is it going to solve the issue of like delivery services in the next five years? I don't think so. Just imagine like how long of a time it would take to build all the vehicles to deliver all this stuff in like all the possible cities where you can do that. Just like changing the infrastructure from existing bikes and scooters and cars into autonomous vehicles, just getting like the infrastructure in place would take a very, very long time and it hasn't even started. So I think it's still a relatively long way, a long way uh, away. But people always like to talk about this stuff and there's always experimentation and, you know, these PR stunts and we do also autonomous deliveries with a number of partners. But it's still like very far away from being like a genuine reality where we could rely on it as a business. So I think it's still like five to 10 years away at least. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Okay. What also could be like five to 10 years away is like your exit path, if there's any. So I've, I've received one uh, news today from uh, uh, from one of the... Uh, very well-known food expert. There was, for example, um, delivery hero invested in Deliveroo in uh, that's uh, correct in the UK. So it's, it seems to be a lot of like aggregation moves uh, uh, in the industry. Do you expect that there's going to be like aggregation in the industry still, or uh, uh, do you think one of the bigger players like Amazon, because you talk in Manager Magazine about Amazon, will uh, join the market and um, eventually buy? some of the providers could be you could be delivery hero or some somebody else well see i think for amazon it will be difficult to make big moves in europe uh like if you look at like uh, where the regulation in europe is going if anything american big technology companies are going to have a tougher time you know acquiring their way into markets versus like competing uh, and organically expanding uh i think our market is still very young so there's still a lot to be a lot to be done in this market so it's very mm -hmm. difficult to say what the end result will be I think there is going to be a continued consolidation, you know, mergers between companies and acquisitions and so forth. Uh, but the reality is that if I look at our company, for instance, like we don't need to sell the company to anyone. We can continue as a standalone company. We have a clear path to IPO and beyond an IPO and we're going to build a company that's, you know, 10 times bigger than what we are today. And that's what we're focused on. So after you get to a certain size, there's less benefit you get from, you know, being a part of a bigger entity. Of course, if you're a smaller player, like your ability to invest in the technology, access to financing and so forth won't be good enough that you can compete with these big multinational yeah. players. But that's not the case anymore for us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Again, is there a part from your focus on uh, um, best in class customer service or so really verticalized uh, uh, approach? Is there anything special about your model? So do you have any? So for, I'll give you an example. So about you, for example, Uh, focused really a lot on like influencer marketing for a couple of years and uh, were kind of an innovator in this industry uh, in 2013, 14, when nobody was doing it. So is there something similar uh, similar here? Uh, or I don't know, maybe you're investing in a super smart ghost kitchen uh, technology uh, that brings 
the uh, uh, the world experience, even like smaller cities or smaller villages like like mine, stuff like this, or is it just doing what you can do best, like you've shown in Helsinki, and scale it worldwide? So I think uh, if you look at a company like us, um, like you usually see an app with a, some sort of a listing of restaurants, and you order something, and sometime later someone brings brings you something, and you can ask, you know, what's the big deal? You know what's so different across these players, but the issue is that, uh, like, if I look at our engineering team, we have over 300 people working in engineering. Out of our engineers, less than 15% work on things that the consumer sees. So 85% work on things the consumer doesn't see. They're part of the iceberg that's beneath the flow, ocean floor. And the thing is that if you look at what we actually do as a company, you know, what kind of technology we develop and so forth, we're more of a logistics optimization technology company than we're a consumer company. You if you look only, at what we're building. You have only 300 engineers? That's correct. That's uh, way smaller than I would have expected. Yeah, uh, we've always liked uh, liked to have a small teams with a high level of ownership doing the things that we do. Like my background is that I worked at Supercell uh, and I saw teams like the Clash of Plans team that was seven people that built a game that was uh, played by over 100 million people every day. And even at its height, you know, that team was like 20 to 30 people. You don't need massive engineering teams to build really, really good product and to scale that. If anything, having thousands and thousands of engineers too early, that can be counterintuitively, you know, bad because, you know, you suddenly become too complex as a setup and it's too difficult to build product and to develop uh, forward from there. So we've been very careful in how we develop our engineering teams. But if you're looking at your uh, roadmap and your requirements you have like for rolling out new markets uh, so with those 300 people only, I would have expected thousand or more, to, to, to be honest. But with those 300 people, does it feel that you can deliver whatever you want to deliver from a technical uh I mean we're we're hiring more than 300 people into engineering as we speak so we are hiring as fast as we can new people so obviously there's more that we can do and that we will do but the point I was going for is that you know size is not everything when it comes to product and engineering and I mean I we do operate in 23 countries we support Japanese we support Hebrew which is right uh, to left we operate in like 15 different currencies and and whatnot so it's not that we wouldn't be doing a lot of things I I, I would slightly disagree because when you're looking at uh, tech companies, so what stays super stable is um, is if you if you divide uh, revenues through engineers, the number is always the same, two to ten million. <laughs> it's like a, so uh, so size matters. Obviously, you have to you need a good engineering team, and uh, the the CTO of uh, about you, uh, Sebastian Betz, also very successful in this business, always said, yeah, you. You're not faster in, in, in baking a pizza with more developers. <laughs> you, And also, like WhatsApp gonna... was when yeah. WhatsApp was acquired by yeah. Facebook for 19 billion USD, it had a team of around 20 people. So size is not everything when it comes to products, and especially mobile products. On mm. the desktop and more legacy side, of, legacy side of technology, yes, but mm. when it comes to high class mobile products, like you also want to optimize for being nimble, for being able to move quickly to be able to ship features quickly. And if you have an entity with you know, thousands of engineers very, very early working on it, what can actually happen is that you end up being a lot slower than you would necessarily have to be. Like I said, you know, we're a product and technology company. That's the beating heart of the company that we've built. And we've been always very careful when it comes to uh, scaling product and tech. We believe that big is not, you know, small is big in our industry. You'd rather have small teams 
with a very high level of autonomy and ownership over the things that they build and maintain. Because this allows you to be quick when it comes to shipping features that matter for the customers that use your products, whether it's couriers or customers or restaurants or, or other people that use our platform. Yeah. So you, you have now you have now scaled into 20 plus markets, uh, um, mainly in Europe, as I understand. Um, is there markets with very high differences to your core market? You said uh, Germany is just like another Nordics. Uh, but is there like markets that are super special uh, compared to the Nordics? Yeah, I remember when we expanded to, uh, for instance, uh, Georgia, Tbilisi, the capital city of Georgia, or mm-hmm. Tel Aviv in Israel, or we opened first uh, Hiroshima in Japan, now we're also in Tokyo in Japan. Uh, you know, these are very different kinds of uh, uh, cities and countries. And ultimately, you know, we see Vault itself as a platform also for our employees. We're building a platform where our country teams and operating teams are also customers of the technology and product we built. And we need to build them a product that allows them to be a hyper-local service in the markets where we operate. So we see kind of our internal teams also as customers to the product and tech that we built. And that has allowed us to also scale because ultimately, you know, uh, this is a hyper-local business. You know, it's one neighbor, one neighborhood at a time. In one neighborhood, having this one specific restaurant that it's really difficult to get on the platform might be the determining factor how you win that neighborhood. And no developer in Helsinki or Berlin is going to be able to, you know, you know, say that, you know, that's how it is or, or to even distinguish where that success comes from. That's why you need these teams that really live and breathe the cities where they live and where they operate in. And we built them product and technology that allows them to win. And if they need features uh, that we don't need in other markets, we need to build them as features of the platform. And the markets that need those features are going to have those features enabled in their markets. That's our kind of philosophy when it comes to countries and country teams. Mm, okay. Has there been markets where you um, stopped uh, doing this service? Or you said, okay, that it doesn't work. It's like, it's so different or it's so... Unfortunately not. Like, I think that uh, that is a virtue of us always having been a little bit careful about how we build the company. Like, you know, we we always were this, you know, company with the least amount of funding in our industry, finding companies that were 10 times bigger than us, 10 times better funded than us and, and so forth. And we always had to make do with a lot less financing, a lot less people, uh, than everyone else. And that's the DNA of the company. And I think in hindsight, we could have been a lot more brash when it came to expansion. Maybe we should have expanded to 40 countries and shut down 10 of them. And we would be in 30 countries instead of 23 today. So unfortunately, we haven't shut down any markets as of today. Okay. Might happen in the future. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully your planning capabilities are are are, are so good. Then I would have like another macroeconomic um, question. So one of the, uh, one of the trends or one of the things I would have expected to see um, after Corona is that people now focusing, especially in the food delivery service, uh, are focusing going back to uh, restaurants. Is this something you see? Because uh, uh, there's now, we are now one year, no, not one year, but uh, eight months into vaccination campaigns, especially into, in, into Europe. So in your core cohorts, where you most likely have seen a very strong demand of your service uh, during corona was there kind of a scale back uh, uh, because of uh, because of the uh, um, yeah the end of the pandemic i would say 
It's more been like that when it, when there's these severe corona COVID lockdowns, we see these crazy accelerations of new customers coming in, of like uh, existing customers becoming even more actively uh, to use the platform and so forth. And then it usually returns to uh, a level that's higher than what it was before the lockdown, but lower than, of course, the peak of the lockdown, but to this new normal level after these lockdowns. Mm. But beyond those... It really, we haven't really seen this big shift. Like ultimately, you know, we don't believe that Volt is a service that should replace going to a grocery store or going to a restaurant. Like people eat like 80 to 100 times a month. And as I said, you know, it's three to seven times a month that people use us. So we're still a very small part of uh, how much people eat in most of our markets. So we believe ourselves to be a complementary service. Like what we're ultimately doing is that, uh, you know, we're, we're bringing people another avenue to take care of food. And it doesn't need to be 100% of their eating. Yeah, for some but, but, person, maybe yeah, it's closer to 100%. You, for others, it's less. You need to replace something, right? So if you're replacing like seven food orders uh, in a restaurant. We're probably then, replacing yeah. bad food. That's at least what we're doing. Yeah, that's a, smart, that's a smart way to, to frame it. But you, you might... You, so I'm not even thinking that you would stop people going to the restaurants because people are not going to restaurants just for the food, but for the experience. Agreed. But you definitely... You definitely... Uh, you definitely... Uh, make it harder for supermarkets. <laughs> so all joking stuff. aside, yes, uh, I think what happens uh, by virtue of all companies like Walt, people cook less and cooking becomes more special um, mm -hmm. by, because they use services such as ourselves. But I personally yeah. see it as a positive thing because we're uh, giving back people so much time. Like, you know, thinking about food and, you know, preparing food, like it takes a lot of time in our everyday lives. And if we can give some of that time back to people, that's already very, very valuable. I personally love to cook, but if you need to cook three times a day, every day, that's a lot of time you're spending on cooking. That's true. Then there's one question I usually um, ask a lot of um, guests at, at Commerce Talks and Custom Zone, uh, um, which is, What is your gross bottleneck? So, uh, and this is something maybe you're dis discussing with your investors too. So, if you could grow double the speed, the money is there. <laughs> I, I would say the, the market, is, the market, the market, the market would give you even more money. So, what is it? What is stopping you going to my little village here, offering the Vault service? People, hmm. Vault, uh, Vault's team, not accounting any couriers, today is around three and a half thousand people. A year ago, we were roughly a thousand people. Two years ago, we were roughly 300 people. Mm. So the thing is that like today we're hiring uh, around 300 people every month. So 10 people start at Vault every day. So our biggest bottleneck is that there's, there's a limit to how quickly you can find and integrate great people to the company. And ultimately, you know, if, if why are we not coming to your town, uh, for instance, in Germany? Because we have other bigger cities that we're working on. And ultimately, we have a limited number of people. And even in the existing cities, we need to be launching new neighborhoods. So there's there's always this kind of limitation of people. And we talked about our engineering side. We have 300 people in engineering, but we're looking to double that. I think we have more slots open into the team at the moment than we have people in the team. But it's not like we can tomorrow just get all those people. It takes time to find those people, but also you don't want to hire double your team in a day. You want to take some time to integrate people so your culture remains strong and so forth. So people is really the bottleneck, recruiting great people, retaining great people. And in order to get to a new city, uh, um, how many people would you need to hire in a new city before you start really offering It's more service? about that we have a country operating team that prioritizes what we do in the country. And there's always this kind of uh, opportunity cost 
the opportunity cost of launching a new city is helping our existing cities grow uh, grow quicker expanding new neighborhoods and so forth and mind you like we have a very physical business like you know we need to get restaurants and shops and and stores you know you know street one street at a time onto the platform uh, in each of the cities where we operate in we need to get couriers and get heat bags and clothing and so forth in every one of the cities we need to get customers in every one of the cities so it's not like a p- pure virtual type of business where you know you just put the app on uh, online and people can download it Okay, and we have a lot of listeners from Hamburg, and my understanding is you're not offering your service in Hamburg. Can can you give like a, a hint if we can if we can use Volt? Stay tuned. Service? I will not give a timeline because I don't want to give pressure to the team because that would no. be wrong. They need to do the right thing for Volt in the whole of Germany. Yeah. Okay, But so not we in August. We want to be in Hamburg But, eventually. Yeah. I hope very very soon. This year. Let's see. It's still there's still a lot of this year left, so let's see. Okay, okay. Could be this. Could be this year. So, but there's like twenty uh, twenty weeks left, dear team. <laughs> it's it's uh, a lot of time. See. Okay. Then I would, uh, as the last part, I would discuss a little bit as uh, a supermarket delivery thing because I think that um, uh, this whole gorilla stuff really, really was replacing the delivery delivery hero discussion over the last last couple of weeks. And uh, there we've learned that the Stark store. Um, setup uh, might be superior. So instead of doing uh, curbside pickup or um, or click and collect, as we as we call it in uh, in Europe, um, is this something what you believe in? So let's say you are able to uh, integrate with Rossmann or others. So um, will they pick then your orders and or will they collect the orders in the store and uh, offer kind of a pickup? station in the store for your riders is that the way how you imagine to integrate um, uh, drug stores or um, supermarkets so the way i see it is that like stores in cities are already warehouses like there's already a warehouse of you know things uh the difference is just that that warehouse has been you know also opened to customers that come in and buy things from that warehouse so like you don't necessarily need to set up new warehouse space and put shelves and products into it to be able to sell people you know things very very quickly online initially yes we do work with partners so that they they operate a store and they handle the pickup and we they have a pickup point and we only like have a courier pickup from the store and deliver it to the customer Uh, but eventually, yes, I'm a big believer in dark stores and dark kitchens for that matter. I think the the future of commerce is not an Amazon warehouse outside of the city and, you know, you get something later today or tomorrow. The future of e-commerce or commerce is that there's these, you know, thousands of stores in a city and you order something and someone will or deliver you from the closest store, whatever you need to your home. But the question is, how do we end up there? I think even, even uh, the big one, grocery one, brands. Just yeah. one quick question. So you believe in that future, even for assortments outside food and uh, uh, drugstore uh, merchandise. So you would even believe in smaller dark stores for consumer electronics. Yes. Yes. I'll, Why is ultimately... that? Because there's usually not an ad hoc need. No, but it's about uh, convenience uh, and price. Like if you can have a very inexpensive delivery service, bring you something in 30 minutes and your opportunity cost is to order something that, you know, brings you, you know, it later, later this week or next week, why would you wait? So like world is ultimately consumer space is about a race to convenience, the best, the easiest, the cheapest, the quickest way to get something. 
Mm. And I think the golden standard in e-commerce, you know, has been Amazon Prime. It has been about these two-hour time windows and something later today or tomorrow. I think the golden standard of e-commerce is going to be closer to 30 minutes or even 10 minutes in some cases. So I think that's where the future is going. But we're not there yet. It's still very, very early in that regard. But I think ultimately, you know, big grocery operators themselves will end up operating dark stores for delivery because that's what the customers want. Do you think you will need the big grocery retailers we have today? Though in Germany, it's like Rewe, Edeka, Lidl, uh, and though in the future, or will it be other operators like the gorillas of this? World? I think it will be both. I think there will be uh, current players that will kind of like, uh, you know, learn and adapt. And there will be new players that emerge with uh, with the opportunity. Like what we see in many markets where we work with these big national grocery chains is that customers recognize the brands. They have their favorite products. They're happy to finally get something that they've been going. Like imagine people have been driving to these stores to walk in the store for half an hour to check out for another half an hour, like taking a lot of time to get something. And now they can get the same thing in an app, but they're very loyal to these brands. So I think existing brands do have very strong brand recognition and brand loyalty and their own products. And they understand very, very local customers and so forth. But ultimately, this is a race to the right customer experience. If they're unable to get the right customer experience, ultimately, customers will go to uh, whoever gives them the right customer experience. Okay, then I would like to give you the last questions. I'm I'm getting asked a lot by city managers and people that are really uh, into this romantic idea of like the inner city. How you describe it, like the city have a lot of like dark stores in the future, small delivery hubs. Um, there's no place for standard retail stores anymore. What will be then the future of the inner city? So, you know, like the the nice areas, there might be even Helsinki, I think, during the summer, uh, where people um, uh, walk and let, ins let them inspire by the nice shopping windows. What will happen to those stores? What will happen to those areas? So I think those areas will remain quite similar to what they are. Like, you know, think about like a concept like 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is a fast, hyper-convenient model uh, for people that need to shop quickly, you know, a few items, uh, and they don't want to go to a very big grocery store. And you see these 7-Elevens in the markets where they operate in almost every corner. So I think dark stores will be quite something similar. You will have dark stores here and there. But it won't be that like the whole city is now dark stores. Of course, there will be other shops and boutiques and restaurants and, and so forth. But, you know, the city just continues to adapt. So I think it's not about revolutionizing the city. It's continuing to iterate and develop the city based on what people want and need. So, you know, it's not going to be that big, that dramatic of a change than people people might think. We always overestimate things, things as humans in the in the short term and underestimate oh, it. At least I found some some romantic view for the inner city in you. So I'm so uh, I have expected some much more progressive, uh, but that maybe we can do in the second episode uh, of this podcast. <laughs> so I run through all the questions I had. There are some more. But we're at the end of the time for uh, for our podcast uh, uh, slot here. Um, so, uh, Mickey, thanks a lot. So I'm looking forward to the Hamburg and Berlin expansion. I will try it out in Berlin. I'm going to be there like in two days or so uh, uh, and give you some give you some feedback. Uh, but eventually, I hope <laughs> I will have something similar in my small uh, village. So Excellent. I look to forward to getting Walt into Hamburg. And thank you for having me, Alex. I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, you can already look forward to the next episode with the Managing Director Europe from Lens End. Some of you might know um, the brand. 
Uh, I've talked about the brand in one of my podcasts with uh, Florian Heinemann on the Kassenzone podcast. A very interesting brand, a comfy brand, um, and they made a fantastic job over the last 10 years as a verticalized traditional brand to earn money and to become e-commerce first. That's what I'm talking with the uh, with Constanze um, about and what you can listen to in the next episode. See you next time in the Commerce Talks podcast. Mm -hmm.